Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Last week, I began to tell you the story of Crazy Dave, a man who just could not stop his violent urges and documented his struggles in his prison diary. Today, we will explore his path of destruction that will affect generations. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime In It. When David Moss was released from prison in 1977, he just could not stay out of trouble for long. In 1979, a male friend was spending the night in his apartment in Chicago. Some sources state that this friend was underage, but I just cannot confirm this. However, I am inclined to believe that this friend was a teenager due to David associating himself with that teenager in Germany and because I cannot find the victim's name anywhere, making me believe that he was a minor whose family asked for anonymity, a right often given to minors. Anywho, this friend was sleeping and David took a knife and violently stabbed him. In 1980, he was tried for attempted murder and David lied by maintaining his innocence and the jury found him not guilty. So yes, David was once again a free man with little repercussions. David was very self-aware though. In a diary that he hand wrote in jail, he said that one day he was driving past a psychiatric hospital and it made him think that he would be better off there. He writes, I thought to myself that it would not be so bad being in there the rest of my life because I would not be able to hurt someone anymore. And maybe I can get some help. End quote. In August 1981, David set out on a mission to find a teen that he had sexually experimented with while living at a children's home when he was 13. Again, it is believed that this interaction was consensual. But at the time, David felt that this interaction was the root of all of his psychological issues, which makes no sense and just shows the amount of shame that he sadly faced about his sexuality. And Dave actually found where this now man lived. But when he got to his home, he was told, that the man he was looking for was actually serving time in jail. Undeterred, Dave spotted a teenage boy walking past and decided to kill him as a type of surrogate for his original target. The boy was Donald Jones and he was only 15. His body was found in a quarry with a stab wound in the stomach. Moments before his death, Donald pleaded for his life, telling David, I'm only 15 years old. Please don't kill me. Donald's cause of death 
was drowning. David fled to Texas, where he stabbed a 14-year-old boy in his hotel room. It is unclear whether the victim died, but David was charged with causing bodily injury to a child and sentenced to five years. Reflecting on this time in his life, David writes, When I got locked up in the Army, and then especially when I got locked up in 81, I knew that I should never be let out again. I didn't know how to act around other people, and I was never taught how to make friends and keep them. When an inmate says he doesn't want out, I hope that somebody listens. End quote. While in jail, police was able to connect the murder of Donald Jones to David. But after psyche vows, he was found unfit to stand trial. David spent 10 years in psych hospitals awaiting trial until he was finally able to plead guilty in 94. Despite facing 35 years in jail, they took off the 12 years that he spent in the psych facilities. And so after only five years in jail, David was released on good behavior in 1999. So the man and that police described as a Gacy type was let out of jail after only serving five years. And here's the thing. Literally nobody wanted David out of jail. The prosecutor tried to influence the courts to keep him in jail. And David wrote a five-page essay to the Illinois Department of Corrections asking them to be kept in prison. But under law, he was eligible for early release. Now, if this was a black man, I just wonder, you know, would he have been released? It's honestly hard to say in this particular part of the case because literally no one wanted this man on the streets, but the law just wasn't on their side. And of course, it was not long before David found himself in more trouble. In 2001, David beat a friend with a metal pipe. He reportedly struck him six times in the back of the head. Because the victim did not want to press charges, David did not see jail time for this murder attempt. Literally insane, guys. I mean, the police knew about it, but because the man or teen didn't press charges, they couldn't do anything, which I don't understand because I always thought that if there's someone like this attacking people, the courts can then charge that because he's showing that he is unfit to be living out with the rest of us. So I don't understand that part. But there is only so many times that David could get around the law. In 02, David moved to Hammond, Indiana, where he lived in a home as a tenant. In 2003, teenagers James Raganyi and Michael Dennis was reported missing by their families. The teens left runaway letters with their possible locations. They were even able to track a voicemail that James left on his mother's phone to Interstate 65 in Rose Lawn, Indiana. Police knew that the boys were known to have befriended a man named Crazy Dave, and police was able to identify him as David Moss. Police met David at his rental home, and though David was being friendly and polite, they were suspicious of a buildup of cement in the corner of his basement. Now, Hammond, Indiana floods, so it's not uncommon for homeowners to create 
a buildup of cement near their water hookup to prevent water from damaging their washer and dryer. And so what they would do is they'll put their washer and dryer on top of this block of cement so that way it could be above the water level. But police thought it was weird that the cement was around 15 feet away from the water hookup. So it would be useless if he was trying to protect his washer and dryer. The slab of cement would have been useless. And though police suspected Dave and his slab of cement, they there wasn't much that they can do without evidence. Finally, later that month, a 12-year-old boy reported to police that he was friends with the missing boys and David. He claimed that David would supply him with alcohol and pot. And this information was enough to charge David with delinquency of a minor. The 12-year-old even recalled the last time he hung out with James and Michael. The three boys were with David and they were having breakfast at a truck stop on September 9th, just one day before they were reported missing. The 12-year-old remember that during breakfast, Dennis made a smiley face with his syrup. Finally, with this testimony and permission from the other tenants and the owner of David's home, police led cadaver dogs to the basement where... The dogs alerted to the cement slab. On December 9th, police unearthed the bodies of James Ragani and Michael Dennis from their concrete tombs. The body of another teen, Nick James, was found under a neighboring buildup of cement. Nick was a co-worker of David's at a trophy shop owned by his landlord. Surprisingly, David was very cooperative with the police. He often talked to the police about his childhood and remember those letters that the boys wrote to their families with their possible locations? Well, David admitted that he engineered that plan as a way to ward off police suspicion. He told the teens that they were going on a trip and to hide their goodbye letters around their homes for their families to find. Unfortunately, the grieving families continue to find these letters even after their bodies were exhumed. In 05, David pled guilty to all three murders and was sentenced to three life terms. But only a month into his prison sentence, David Mass was found hanging in his cell. He left a suicide note where he confessed to five murders. He even apologized to the victim's families. Police believe, though, that there were more than five victims. David's case made the public realize that this man should have never been released from jail and institutions so many times. Now it is the law that violent offenders must register with law enforcement. And it is because of David that this law was made. And unfortunately, if this law had been in place when David was active, he probably would have been caught sooner. This was a horrible, preventable case, but it is reassuring to know that a law was created to hopefully prevent this from happening again. My name is Sophia Talley, and this has been the season finale of season three of True Crime and Knit. For more information, please visit www.thedrugcenter.com slash truecrime. And now it's time to hear from our sponsor. So as a mom, literally my only time 
to myself, my only me time, is when I get into the shower. And today's sponsor, Way, is helping me up my shower game with their Melrose Place Body Cleanser. This cleanser balances out and nourishes your skin. And it just has this really luxurious lather that just turns my shower experience into the spa day that I crave every single day. Experience the new Melrose Place Body Creme and Body Cleanser. Your body, your way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com, code BELIEVE. And now it's time for our knitter mission. Welcome to the season finale, Knitter Mission of season three. I cannot believe it's season three. I cannot believe y'all are still listening with me. You know, I started True Crime and Knit as a hobby just because I thought I'd be the only one who liked it. It's just like a fun little thing that I do. And one just says, oh, you're the one that made True Crime and Knit. It's becoming something that I'm known for, which I'm shocked. So thank you for that. I'm working on a drop sleeve sweater that I thought would only take a week. But here I am on like week three. I don't know how I got here. Okay. And I'm not close to finishing. The sleeves aren't on. It's a cardigan. And the front isn't even finished. Like this is what my cardigan looks like. If you're watching, it literally looks like a blanket. Like you cannot tell what it is. It's a reverse stockinette cardigan where I use the same method that I use in my book, Knit Two Socks in One, to create an afterthought heel. And it's one of my favorite ways to make pockets. It is so stinking easy. You don't have to worry about cutting into the unknown. You literally place a lifeline and a row of scrap yarn stitches and boom, you have an easy place to put your pocket after you're done knitting. I like afterthought pockets. I like the way they look better than the pockets that where it's just like a piece of fabric stuck on to the top of your knitting. I never like the way those look. They're never perfectly straight. They always look sus in real life. Great in pictures, sus in real life. And they make you look bulky, which I don't want to look bulky. I'm already bulky. I don't want to look more bulky, okay? So I like the afterthought pockets because there's a little like pocket on the inside of your cardigan. So it kind of smooths it out a little bit. So when you start stashing things in your pocket, like your phone, or if you have a baby, a pacifier, you know what I mean? All that little stuff, you won't have all this extra bulk. It'll look nice and neat. So and that's what I want. Like I want to design something that's not just easy to knit, but super functional because those pockets that are literally just a piece of fabric tacked on, you know, like they're easy, you know, to knit, but to me, they are hard to sew on straight. They're hard to look great after blocking and they don't look good when you wear them and you start stuffing them. That's my opinion. Though, of course, designers are super creative and talented and they've, you know, like there's different ways of doing things, but I have yet to find a way to make it look as good as an afterthought pocket. And that is my stance and I am sticking to it. Okay, so I am also super excited because I will be 
at Seattle in a few weeks on the 8th. I'm super excited. I'll be teaching with Vogue Knitting Live Seattle. And if you want to hear more about that, I have a blog post. So check that out. At least I think I have a blog post. If I don't have a blog post, then I'll have an email campaign and I'll link that below. But that's fun. And my book is still out. And if you were with me last week, you saw I was number one on Amazon in fashion and textiles. And right now, trying to get my book on the shelves in Barnes & Noble. You can currently buy it online in Barnes & Noble, but it's yet to be on the shelves. So I'm trying to get that going. I also have an article I wrote with Modern Daily Knitting, my loves. So I'm getting that going. I'm going to post that too in my newsletter and stuff. So I have so much going on and I feel super excited and super blessed to be here and sharing my life with you. On the mommy front, this is not knitty related. But on the mommy front, Bo is talking. If you've been following me and Bo on Instagram and on TikTok, you would know that I have been anxiously waiting for this two-year-old to start talking to me, okay? Now, he doesn't talk to me. He doesn't talk to daddy. He's shy. He has uh, what his OT calls like performance anxiety. He feels like it's too much pressure. But he'll talk to his teachers that he just met three weeks ago and a week ago and a few days ago. Yeah, he'll talk to his teachers all day. He'd be telling them stuff. You know what I mean? He'll also talk to Papa, you know, like he'll like he'll he'll talk to the post office, to, to, to the postman. OK, he waved at this girl at Starbucks that I've never seen before in my life. And you know what I mean? like this child is gaslighting me and my husband because we believe he can't talk but then he does and so you know we know it's only a matter of time until he starts talking more to us at home and to his therapist I understand that I know that but I still feel like I'm being gaslit here and if you've experienced a similar plight please let me know in the comments send me an email something I, I need a pick me up here okay I'm struggling I'm struggling struggling I'm struggling so I almost never give mommy updates on bubbies just because I don't know like this is a true crime and show not a bubby and show so I just wanted to share that my son's talking and I'm super happy another thing on the mommy front is I don't know if you guys know this I haven't been talking about this because I'm shy because my whole I call it my brand, but my whole like philosophy when I knit and design is body positivity and knitting for all bodies. Well, lately, I have been losing weight. Over the summer, I posted about having to get a colonoscopy and an endoscopy in the same month because they... I thought something was up. Doctors actually thought that, you know, I could have had some type of cancer or something. Luckily, everything was great. I came back clear, but my main issue was my diet and my weight. I weighed about 180 at the time and I was happy with my weight. I didn't I didn't care. I did not care, okay? But my body was literally falling apart and I wasn't doing well physically or emotionally. And so far I've lost a little over 20 pounds. I think I'm over 20 pounds now, lighter. I feel better. I feel hungry. I feel tired. My immune system has been crazy because what they don't tell you is that when you're in a calorie deficit to lose weight for so long, you know, you are more likely to get sick. And I have a two-year-old who's always sick. So that's against me. But I know soon I'm almost at a healthy weight. I am following BMI just because that's all I have right now. But I do know BMI. 
BMI is inaccurate when it comes to black bodies. It just wasn't designed for us. But that's all I have to work with right now. So that's what I'm going for. I'm going for a healthy BMI. And I am technically in the healthy range right now. But I want to be well in the healthy range. So that way, I have some wiggle room. But now I'm better and I'm healthier. And I'm saying that because you're going to notice in these photos that I take, I'm going to look different. And I already feel like I look very different. I don't know if I like it, but I look different. Okay. And I probably look hungry. Okay. I look hungry. I don't care what anyone says. When you lose a certain amount of weight, you're going to be hungry. Always, always hungry. Even if you're eating within a good calorie uh, deficit, you're going to be hungry. It's just natural. So if you're going to do this, just realize hunger is natural. And I'm not like dying of hunger. I'm just like, man, a bowl of Doritos would be good right now. But losing weight's ghetto. (laughs) But yeah, that's me. That's my life updates. I will be back in about a month and a half with season four. I'm super excited for that. I'm going to start filming immediately. So y'all will get a break. I won't, but that's okay. Because I love doing this every week. And I will see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.